0: Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Chris Gaskill, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Hey, thanks for having me. I guess we should mention that uh, we connected uh, through Stu Brown. We did. And how, when you, how do you and Stu know each other? When I moved back here to Virginia from Texas,
1: uh, actually going back uh, after I graduated college, I came here to, to Richmond, and my first job was at Verona High School. Okay. And Stu was one of the coaches there, Blanda was the coach there. Bull Heller, I don't know if you know the name Bull Heller, he was the, the head coach when I got there. Garrett Chilcote was basically the assist, basic assistant head coach. Really big names in high school big football names, around yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. so uh, that was back in 1998. In 1999, uh, those two seasons were phenomenal for us, and for me being there, my you know, fresh out of college, to be able to coach on a team, that was that good was i mean it was just a gift you know uh who was on that team mike robinson was the running was the quarterback uh we had craig lebrano who he ended up passing away i don't know if you know that story mm-hmm. or not but craig lebrano was an offensive lineman howie howie mitchell uh he was an offensive lineman of mine uh steve young uh, Lamont Abrams was our running back. That kid could run the ball. He ran the ball hard. But, you know, the standout, obviously, is Mike Rob- Everybody
0: knows Mike Robinson. I mean, he's okay. phenomenal. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He does. I think he's the only guy from Verona to, with a ring.
1: There might be a couple more coming. You think so? But I don't know. That school just continues to put stuff out. And Stu did a fantastic job when he took over, so – uh, it was
0: it was a joy to do that with those guys. When you were there in 98 with Stu, Stu was the OC and you were the offensive line coach?
1: They let me have the offensive line. I helped a little bit with defensive line, uh, but it was more just offensive line, which is really cool because when I got here, if you know Bull Heller's offense, he ran a lot of power straight mm-hmm. at you. I mean, we just dominated people. And that's fun to do. And then I was like, hey, coach, what about throwing in a zone? Take your same play. I said, you don't have to do anything with the backfield. Just let me block it differently. Yeah. Let me zone block it, and let's see what it does. And it took the same play but gave it a whole different look, and it was really successful for it. To be able to go back and forth from his power to the zone,
0: power to zone, it was it was pretty cool to see. All right, so for the novices amongst us that don't know the difference between power blocking and zone blocking, right. I imagine power is just you got a guy, whoever's closest to you, sort of yeah. thing. you just knock him back three yards.
1: It depends on where the defensive lineman's lined up. You're double teaming to the next level mm-hmm. straight ahead. Versus a zone, you're going right. You're stepping and you're working right. And you just keep working that. And whoever crosses
0: your face or gets in your face, that's who you're blocking. So you're moving as an entity versus you've got this notion of like double and team. And if you're
1: uncovered, you're still going right. You're just going to the second level right off the bat. And you're assuming
0: the running back is right there.
1: And they can read either way. That was the cool thing about it is that they can, they can see all that stuff happening. And they can see if, okay, if I got the edge, I can take the edge. Okay, they're setting the
0: edge. There's a cutback right here. And the cutbacks are deadly. And uh, the offense improved, I imagine, because of both types of blocking. I, I mean, it was a good offense.
1: <laughs> I, I love to say that I did it, but I just had a part in it.
0: You, you did have a good running back and yeah. a, a good quarterback yeah. play that position. Did Y'all throw it all back then.
1: Uh, we did throw. Mike could throw the ball. Um, usually, that was just to keep him honest. You yeah. know, people would really load the box up, and and we'd have to stretch him a little bit. But you know, I've seen Mike Robinson get. It felt like all 11 people maybe even to put 12 another person on the field you know it, they would hit him and he just would come out of a scrum and just go
0: 80 yards boom gone just because he's freakishly uh strong he's just an amazing athlete yeah very, really coordinated too really is yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's that's amazing so you you had the fortune of knowing Stu Brown for the last 26 years yeah,
1: when I left Verona in 2000 and I moved away and we kept in touch, not as often as I probably would have liked to, but we kept in touch. And then fast forward to what I was alluding to earlier, fast forward to 2015 when I was moving back here from Texas. I called him like, hey, I'm coming back to town. He goes, all right, what are you doing? I was like, well, you had to sell my house in Texas. I'm coming for a couple months ahead of time because I got to start my job. He goes, just live with me. Oh, wow. And he let me come. I mean, we hadn't seen each other in years. Who says that? Yeah, he said, come hang out with me. Now you gotta. Next time you see Stu, you gotta, you gotta remind him of this. I hold his golf championship in his yard.
0: <laughs> what is a championship for golf in his yard? What does so that mean? He
1: had on the side of his house, going from the driveway back to the to the left of a barn area over there, or garage area. Yeah. He had a flagpole, and we would just sit out there and just. It was probably, I feel like it's that big, but it, it was probably like eighty yards or so.
0: Okay. And so you're playing with legitimate golf we're balls. Playing legitimate golf. golf balls, yeah. and we're hitting. And
1: I have the closest to the pin, so uh, I, I'm the champion for that year, or the only time. I, I you don't to play? think anybody's beaten
0: it. I ask him all the time if anybody's beaten <laughs> it. I'm gonna have to go out. Is he still <laughs> the same place? Uh, you know, I don't know. If, I don't think he is. Oh, that's too yeah, bad because I, I was he's... gonna try to go out there and break it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't. It, I, he gives me stuff about it all the time because I might, I might. It wasn't the prettiest shot in the world does matter. I, mean, I might have bounced it off the garage, and, and it, but it went right there, and I'm the champion. I remind it to him all the time. That's usually
0: the only way I hit the fairway. It actually golfs, hit a tree on the right, and then comes uh-huh. back into the fairway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so when you were a kid growing up in tidewater – Well, actually, you know what? Instead of going there first, you mentioned you had lost a – kid, a kid's passed away Yes, since Craig Lubrano. you want to tell that story? Craig was an offensive lineman uh, for me, and he was, a, he
1: was a good ball player. I mean, he – he was a big kid had pretty quick feet um big size i mean he was getting recruited pretty heavily by some big schools just because he had the size and the structure and he had the footwork to be able to do that and a lot of college coaches I, i like to think they thought that of me they could see okay i can take that and i can work with it and i remember to this day i was down actually uh i was working i'd just taken a job with the secret service and i went down to training in georgia and I got the phone call from Stu that he had passed away because I left in June, and it was the first week of the season, so it would have mm-hmm. had to have been you know the first week of September or something like that. He told me I was
0: devastated. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was pretty pretty rough to see. And they've done a pretty good job of um, putting some. Uh, they've got stuff at Verona that honors him and stuff like that. I still talk to his his brother Joe. Uh, I've seen him a couple of times on the softball field because his kids played and my kids played, yeah. and so. How old was he when he passed? He would have been a senior in high school.
0: Oh, that's yeah. tragic.
1: Yeah. I don't know the stories of it. He, uh, they said he had some kind of virus, and his his body temperature shot up on the field, and they couldn't do anything about it. Oh, he was on the field when he died. Yeah, he, he went down on the field, mm. and then they took him to
0: the hospital. Wow. Yeah. And you knew, knew him really well. He was one of my offensive linemen. Yeah, it's tragic. Yeah. 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 Tragic. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully he's in a better place uh and i'm sure he's still missed obviously i can tell that you you missed the kid quite a Mm -hmm. bit and how old would he be now roughly
1: probably
0: 38 oh wow 40 maybe 40. so roughly 20 years ago yeah all right let's go uh awkwardly transition to where you grew up where did you grow up
1: so i grew up in hampton virginia now don't don't confuse that with Hampton High School. It's you're, a city. you're not you're not a crabber. I'm not a
0: crabber. I am a brewing through and through, Bethel Brewing. Okay. Uh, how many schools were in uh, Hampton? Ooh. High schools? Four, I think, at the time. It was four. Oh then. really? Hampton's yeah. that big. Yeah,
1: it was it was Kickatan, Bethel, Phoebus, and
0: Hampton. All right. I'm gonna ask you the best athletes to come out of those four mm. high schools. I mean one I That's think tough. I think two are pretty obvious. Hampton well, I mean, and Bethel for me, it's pretty obvious who yeah. the names are.
1: Yeah, Iverson from there, Curry, Ronald Curry, obviously. From if Hampton, you, go, if yeah. you go in the Newport News, um, you got the Vic brothers, they're both out of there. You got Aaron Brooks, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron Brooks was the quarterback at Ferguson High School back, yep. back in those times. Um,
0: Just some amazing athletes. Aaron Mundy, who played
1: at UVA, yep. he went to Hampton High School. Uh, Paul London, Bethel Bruin and mine, him and his, both his, him and his older brother Hmm. played at UVA. And then their middle brother played at Duke. Wow. So there's a lot of talent that came out of that. It was a pretty
0: stout district. All right. So back in the day, I think Tidewater had 804 phone numbers. Mm -hmm. But then when we picked up the, I think it was the third one ever, North Virginia might have had the third one, but 757 became mm -hmm. associated with Tidewater. Seven five seven all star team, and and you can magically make everybody eighteen again, versus the eight oh four all star team. Is it a, is it a close game, or does seven five seven crush eight oh four? And you're obviously a little biased. I'm a little biased. Yeah, I was going to say I, I take there's a lot
1: of talent here in, in the central Virginia area. Yeah, I mean it, that's a tough tough one. I I'd like to see the game.
0: It'd be put, a, put those game. two together. would be awesome. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm assuming football game, but basketball. Mm-hmm. I think you'd have a I'd really be, competitive thing. Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah. Alright, so what was it like growing up in Hampton? Uh,
1: just a normal growing up. Um I used to walk to middle school. I used to when I before I got in my car and was able to drive, I'd ride a bike to the high school or get a ride. I mean, it was just a normal normal city for me. It was a normal I didn't know anything different. You know, I'd live with my dad, my parents were divorced. I had lived with my dad for a couple years in Windsor, Virginia, a very small town. That's where my brother graduated from Windsor High School. And then I moved back to live with my mom and my stepdad um, there. And it was just – I felt like it was a pretty normal youth time. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was so pure when you think about it because everything you did was sports. But yeah. That was it. Like, everything was sports. I mean, I remember growing up playing baseball. You couldn't wait for Saturday to get there. You'd go to the field. You wouldn't play until 2, but you'd get to the field at 8, and you just hang out all day long. It was and awesome. play wall ball and, and get snow cones for foul balls it was everything
0: you know it was, it was a lot of fun what was Hampton known for uh, is it a port town and that's basically how it grew because a lot well of you got
1: Langley Air Force Base so there's a, there's a heavy Air Force uh, influence there but then you have Newper New Shipyard which was the major employer I mean talking about the number one civilian contract to the US Navy yeah, new open new shipyard. Everybody worked there. My dad worked there. My my dad worked for a design company. My stepdad worked there. My mom worked there. My brother worked there. I worked there in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, my senior senior high school and my freshman year of college. Grandparents were from that part of the world too. Well, mom's my mom's adopted, so her family is from Roanoke Rapids mm-hmm. down that way. But my grandmother that adopted her, they're all from from that area. Yeah, and your dad's side
0: from there too. They were military, yeah. so they bounced
1: around a good bit. He lived in Germany for a little bit, and you know, lived in a couple of different places, California, you know. Yeah. So he bounced around a little bit. Uh, he he was at the apprentice school when uh, my mom and him met. Okay,
0: and he was shipbuilding. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he well, he was
1: playing basketball then. You know, yeah. but yeah, he yeah. got he was into drafting, you know, the design, the, uh, the drawing, gotcha. that kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe a
0: little bit easier physically.
1: Than, yes in the actual shipbuilding itself
0: yes. when you worked there those two summers uh-huh. what, what were you doing oh boy
1: that first summer was a lesson and i will tell you my stepdad did it on purpose and i as much as i hated it at the time I, it was a blessing i they put me in the yard the uss stennis aircraft carrier was being built Th- those things are massive huge right? it's a funny story because my first day there so they send me down i'm in x36 which is his rigging department so it's just you lift stuff and move stuff mm put up scaffolding and take down a scaffolding. You're just the heavy person that would go around. My first day on a ship, I get down to where I'm supposed to be and we go down to
0: the fourth deck engine room because we're taking the water pumps out and I'm up. And the four, fourth deck, you mean, like first deck is surface level, right? You're, yeah. you're four stories. Well, you get the flight deck and then you work your way
1: down. Right. And I get down there and, you know, I'm, I am I'd graduated high school, but I hadn't gone to college yet. I'm like, okay, you know, I gotta get go the bathroom. They're like, well, I'm like, i got to go to the bathroom. They're like, well, you got to go up to the flight deck. I'm like, all right. So I go up to the flight deck. Two and a half hours later, I got back. <laughs> because you got, got lost. couldn't find my way. And they laughed at me. It was, it was kind of funny. It's funny, but it's not because the, there's such a union presence. Mm. Every different department had their own union, like the electricians and all that stuff like that. So you could be moving this 3,000-pound water pump by swinging chain falls, hanging them. They'd send me, the young guy, up into all the pipes to hang the chain falls. You got all the bad jobs. I got all the stuff. But it turned out being good because it was 100 degrees there in the summer. Mm. And you're in steel-toed boots, jeans, long-sleeve shirt, hard hat, glasses. Well, when you worked your way up in the pipes, you could find the vents because they would vent air in to help you. Mm. And I'd just sit there right by the vent and let the air just blow at me. (laughs) So I'm like, I'll sit up here if you need me to. I mean, you would wait eight hours for an electrician to come cut a wire so we could swing the water pump through and splice the wire back. You couldn't touch it. I'm like, why don't we just cut it? I can splice
0: it back. I'm like, Mm-mm, can't do it. Because of unions. You're- yeah. Uh, but that was, was it the hardest job you had? Summer job, anyway? When you're down there eight
1: hours a day in the heat of the summer, and you know, because I had to get out, and, I, and Wake had already sent me stuff, workout and stuff. I knew what I had to do when I got. Because
0: you had already accepted.
1: I'd already, Wake. I already had signed and done everything. Yeah. I knew where what when I had to be there and what the uh, test was going to be when I got through the physical test when I got there. So I had to work out afterwards. And these guys would sit down. And, some of these guys are down there thirty years. They've mm. been doing it for thirty years. And they looked at me and they're like, you know, why you're here, don't you? Mm. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, get your degree. You don't want to work down here for 30 years and i was pretty powerful you know as a a kid you got to have people to do stuff like that yeah you know and some and they were fine with doing but they all wanted something better for everybody else that came
0: behind them which was a pretty powerful message to get at a young age your stepdad knew what he was doing he did yeah yeah sounds like you you got along really well with your stepdad he was my best
1: man at my wedding
0: are you that's awesome yep that doesn't happen every day yeah
1: wow that's crazy yeah, he's uh, he's been he was there for me. He passed away in 16, mm-hmm. uh, but he was there for everything. I mean, games, colleges they my, my, they had the fortitude to be able. He had worked his way up in the shipyard and had a pretty high level job, so was making good money. They went to every game, traveled wow.
0: traveled everywhere. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, you mentioned baseball, and obviously we're going to talk a fair amount about football. I imagine were there other sports, or were those the, the main two? That you no, I played up? baseball, basketball, and football. Were those the only three sports available when you were coming up?
1: There was wrestling. Yeah. Um, but really those were the, the main three. I wrestled my senior year. The the year we won the state championship in football, that basketball season, they won the state championship. That was my senior year. They won the state championship in basketball, and that was the year I decided to wrestle instead of play basketball. Why would you want to wrestle instead of playing basketball? I thought it was going to help me when I got to – To wake, It probably did. For football, yeah. I I thought it would be a little bit more, you know, you learn leverage. And, you know, it it was really fun. I kind
0: of wish I would have done it before, but I just just love basketball too. Yeah, I can't imagine picking wrestling over basketball. Yeah. But there's an appeal to wrestling, like just testing yourself and it's just you. The conditioning. And and I'll tell you one thing. That
1: first match that I had went to full six minutes. Mm -hmm. I never wrestled before. And so i gone to practice. I'd done all the things and done all the the, the PT, the stuff, the running around the gym and the school. That first match went six minutes, and by the time it was over, I could barely get myself up off the mat.
0: Yeah, because you're giving your yeah. all for six minutes. Done. It's almost like you're sprinting for six minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what weight class were you? Heavyweight. <laughs> I didn't know you when, you, yeah, went, yeah, when yeah. you were 17, 18. No, it was, it was actually pretty funny because
1: the guys that – I had buddies that were wrestlers. And they would always get so mad at me on weighing days because I'd come in, like, eating a hamburger. Because and... it was unlimited back then. Unli- right? Well, yeah, it was unlimited. And, and they could. They were sitting there for days spitting into a cup trying to lose weight. They're cutting weight, cutting weight, cutting weight. And here I come in, not a in the world, eating a, eating a burger or eating a sandwich The only weight
0: The only weight class that could do that, right? Everybody Absolutely. else had to care.
1: Everybody had to care, yeah. I think they've capped it now at
0: 275. I think they I have. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think it's been yeah. they capped that a few years ago. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching the wrestling team and these tiny guys. They were already skinny to begin with, and they're chewing gum mm-hmm. and spitting so they don't swallow anything that might cause them to gain half an ounce. or. So back
1: then, it was, they would have blow pops. Mm-hmm. They would suck on a blow pop, and they would spit. Yes, yeah. that's what they did. They, yeah. they
0: got the satisfaction of the taste, yeah. I guess, mm-hmm. but they were not getting anything right. going through their system Right, because it was going to turn into something they, mm-hmm. they didn't want. I, I, I never really got into the idea of wrestling, so I'm not well versed in it, I never did it. It seems unhealthy to cut weight like that. Boxing's true, MMA's like that, and mm. wrestling is, do you think it's, well, you never got to experience it. Cause right. you were just, right. But do you think it was unhealthy for the other guys? I would say yeah. Uh, you know, you're, you're depriving
1: your body of nutrients that you need to, to get strong and you know those guys. Most of the time they were cutting a couple of days out, maybe a week out, yeah. and then as soon as they were weighed
0: in, they were. I mean, they were chowing down. They gained so, ten pounds within two hours, kind of thing. Easy. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't. That doesn't seem healthy. It mm-hmm. seems like a more steady approach would be the the wiser thing to do. But wrestling's have been around for a long time. Yeah, I'm pretty thankful I didn't have to do it. All right, so football was your sport, yeah, because you enjoyed it the most, or because you were the best at it, or both. I think I was pretty good
1: uh, at football. I grew up, like I said, I love baseball. Baseball was my first love. I never, I didn't play football until the eighth grade. Oh wow! Yeah, because I, I was always too big. I was the big kid, and it was always weight classes. And I'd walk up to the to the little league stuff, like son, you're too big, you can't play. And I'm like, you didn't hey, have options? Not not, that, not back then. At least I didn't know of any options. Huh? Yeah. I mean, it could have been I just didn't know. But I was like, all right, well, I'll just go keep playing baseball. Huh? and uh so i didn't my i remember my eighth grade year my stepdad told me he goes you are going to play football for the high school this year so i went out and i played and when you say for the high school eighth graders played high school eighth grade could play high school so i was on jv Uh, you couldn't play varsity like some of the other schools or states down south i mean you could be a seventh grader playing varsity and some of the other sports because not that many kids are going out right so eighth graders could try out and could could play on there and then you know football they're not going to really turn you away um I mean, I was so green. I mean, you're talking about a baseball kid. I went to practice. I didn't know any better. They had me playing defensive line. I had my pads on. I had a baseball cup on. I had, I had no – that was just – when I went to go to practice, I always put that on. And I remember to this day we had a kid, Buffy. He was about 300. What was his name? Buffy. Like did, Buffy I'm the not, Vampire star. Yeah, I'm not making that. We called him Buffy. Okay. Whether that was his real name or not? I don't know, but we <laughs> called him Buffy. He was 350 pounds. Oh my goodness. And I recovered a fumble, and I didn't know how to recover it. So I'm laying on top of and it, and he just and took the he air falls out of you. on top of me, and I couldn't breathe. I had bru- I had a bruise around. <laughs> I mean, it was it was awful. I learned very quickly how to recover a uh, well,
0: how much a did fumble. you How much did you weigh back then? I was probably 215, maybe. So he outweighed you by 135 easy. pounds. Yeah, easy. He outweighed you by an eighth grader.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So, but you pre- picked it up pretty quickly, I imagine. I think
1: before. so. Um, obviously, Coach Cox saw something in me that I wasn't expecting. My freshman year, mm-hmm. you would go in the locker room, and the equipment room was in the back of the locker room. And you'd go back there and you'd get a jersey, and it would be, you know, green for JV, gold for, for varsity, or vice versa. I can't remember. I think it was gold varsity. And I walked back there, and he, I never talked to Coach that much because I played JV. I didn't play varsity. And he looked at me. He goes, "Gaskell." I said, "Yes, sir." You ready? I was, what grade? What grade was I was a ninth you? grader. Okay. He said, "Are you ready?" I said, "Ready for what?" He throws me a varsity jersey. I'm like, "Holy cow!" You know, now I'm here. I am on varsity. I ended up beating out the seniors. I started offensive tackle
0: my, as a freshman.
1: As a freshman. Yeah. At
0: Bethel. Yeah. You're the same year as Allen Iverson, right? He was a year
1: a year or two behind me. Okay. I think it might have been a year behind me. Okay. Yeah, it was a year. Yeah. I, I started over there was a senior captain who was the offensive tackle and I ended up beating him out and I started the whole season except for the last the senior day, they let him he started and he played the first series and then I came in and played the rest.
0: Uh we can mention his name or not, but I've got a question that maybe doesn't look him make him look great. Were you that good, or was he that not so good? I don't think
1: I realized I was good until we scrimmaged. We went out to Pulaski to scrimmage. It was a long ride, <clears throat> and there was some corn-fed boys out there. They're, they're big boys out there, and I ended up going against their number one defensive lineman. I mm. can't remember his name. It's a guy shoulders were like three times as wide as me, and I did pretty well
0: And to the point where one of their coaches came up to me after the scrimmage was over. He goes, son, you're going to be good. And you were 235 as a freshman? A 225. 225. That's a yeah. big freshman. Yeah. It's a really big freshman. Mm-hmm. But but not huge for a tackle. Not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep.
1: So then I played <clears throat> tackle my freshman year. Sophomore year, I moved down to guard. And I played guard and defensive end. And then my junior year
0: and senior year, I played tight end and uh, and nose guard. Did the coaches move you to those two <coughs> positions? Or did you say, hey, I want to try out tight end? Our offensive line was huge. We had, we had big – I mean, I was – they, they must have been. When
1: I was – my senior year, I was 260 pounds playing tight end. That, <laughs> that tells you what the rest of the line was like. That, that Most of teams have 260 as yeah. their biggest kick. Yeah. How big were the other guys? Keevan, he's passed. He was probably – he was probably close to 300. Um, Mike was – Mike was probably 285, 290. Our, our smallest one was probably, and he'll kill me for saying this, uh, was Vince Page. He was probably 255, 260. You know, I could be a little bit off on the weights, but it was it was a pretty stout line.
0: It sounds like college lines back Yeah, then. We,
1: we, we, and we ran a, a pro-style offense. What year did you graduate? 93. Okay. You know, the crazy thing about it was in my freshman and sophomore year, we ran the wishbone, and we had the quarterback, fullback, and both running backs we sub four force. I mean, just blazing fast, yeah, and we couldn't win games. We went five I think five and five and six and four of those two seasons. How do you explain that? i don't I don't know if it was ego. Everybody wanted to be the hero type deal. Um, i I don't know because I was so young back then, like
0: I yeah. didn't I was
1: just you know a freshman playing
0: trying to do my job <laughs> yeah, and, yeah exactly. Wow, right, so when did you know you were a football guy over baseball?
1: I think once I started playing in high school, the freshman year, I kind of okay. If he sees something in me, you know, and I and I did I did pretty good. And uh, sophomore, junior year, we we went ten and zero in the regular season. We shut out our first seven opponents. We had seven shutouts. We started the season with seven shutouts. That's crazy. And we go into the first round of playoffs, and I knew we were good. And I was starting to get letters, and I was going to camps. You know, a couple camps here, a couple camps there. I was getting the letters, and the, you know, my mom says she's got garbage bags of letters. So I was getting—I was on a mailing list. You know, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, you know, it's for real when you start getting handwritten notes or something like that. And uh, when I started getting some of those, I'm like, okay, this, this is, this is where I need to be. And I was a big kid. <clears throat> how did they know about you? Cause was fantastic. Mm. That guy worked so much. I mean, today's coaches, I,
0: I don't know
1: how he did it back then. Because now the kids pretty much do their own huddle. They do the, all those profiles online and college coaches go to there and look at it. He would be in there literally every day, VHS tapes, recording tapes, and mailing them off to colleges. Wow. He was fantastic. And he was doing that for each kid? <clears throat> There's a reason why if you went into, when he was the AD and the football coach, if you went in to go to the locker room where the training was there were pictures of all the, all the guys that had gone to college. He was proud know. as he could be. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, he he had a, and he had a big part in all that. I mean, to this day, he's he's
0: one of the he's one of the first mentors or leaders that I really ever
1: experienced. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds
0: like he was very serious about what Absolutely. he was doing, and he took care of a lot of kids. Yep,
1: and we and we had good talent, so that helped too. You know, he there was a demand for it. Todd Kelly went to Bethel. I don't know if you know that name. Mm-hmm. He played uh, defensive end at uh, Tennessee. Okay, he went to Bethel, so we I mean we had good talent coming out of there.
0: All right, I, I asked you this when we talked on the phone a week or two ago. And I don't want to turn this into the Allen Iverson Mm -hmm. thing, but what was he like on the football field? Because you hear, obviously, everybody knows him for basketball, but people from Virginia, a lot of people say he was better at football than he was at basketball. What what do you say? That was exactly
1: what I was going to say. Every time somebody asks me that question, I always say if you've ever watched him play basketball, you should see him play football. The kid was amazing. I think, I can't remember if it was my junior or my senior year. We went over to Norview first game of the season, and they were nationally. Ranked. They were a good team. I don't think we were supposed to beat them. He had five interceptions, and not one of them was thrown to him. He went and got all five. I mean, what did he play? Free safety. Free safety. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. And quarterback, the kid. I mean, he's just so skinny, but he could move. He could take. He was tough. He was tough as nails. You saw that in the NBA. I mean, he got hammered in the NBA. He got hammered at Georgetown. He would get right back
0: up and go right back after. Yeah. Never showed weakness ever. Nope. Yeah, but he was so skinny that the NFL was probably going to hurt him pretty early. I think so. His, I mean, I, I
1: like to say his ankles were about the size of my wrist. You know, he yeah. just was, he was maybe maybe six foot six one. Oh man, I don't even want to guess at the weight. Just I mean, just very skinny, skinny yeah. legs, but athletic.
0: So and he didn't even try to play
1: football in college, right? Or <laughs> didn't even think about it. No, I think he knew basketball was going to be his way. I think he could have easily gone somewhere, and played big time. I think he, his senior year, I think he was the number one QB recruit in the country. Wow. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident. At least some of the sources had him as one of the, as the top QB prospect in the country. Because he could throw too. Could throw the ball sixty yards. I mean like. He's not even swim. trying. Yeah. We used to have a funny thing. He and I would do. I'd. would be funny to hear. It would be funny to hear him tell this story too. We would. He and I, one-on-one, just like me and you facing each other, 10 yards apart, both feet planted. We would start the day every day like this, and it would be you threw as hard as you could. The first person to drop it was out.
0: how long did y'all go typically? Uh,
1: It probably would take about 10, 10 or 12 throws before somebody ended up dropping it.
0: And y'all would drop it about the same amount of times? Well, no. Once you dropped it, it was over. No, I'm saying the, the times y'all did. Yeah, I mean, he would win some, I would win okay. some.
1: Type, but he probably won more than I did. Yeah, yeah. But I did beat him in one-on-one basketball. Really? Yes. Oh, it'll tell that story. Uh, I just backed him down. We were playing make it. <laughs> we were
0: playing make it, <laughs> it take it. I just backed him down. You're a little bit taller, but you don't have a, a crazy height advantage. Yeah, but I knew how to. I mean, I, I knew how to use my body. You knew that, that, leverage. That's what
1: I had to do because when back there, back then in the Peninsula District, the fours and fives were. I mean, we had guys that were six eight, six seven, and I'm, you know, I'm six two, six three. All I had was was body size and strength.
0: And creating so, space for yeah, yourself. So I had yeah. to,
1: I had to box out, I had to set picks, I had to do all of those things, and they scored all the points.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right. So when did Wake uh, come on the radar for you?
1: Coach Caldwell, Jim Caldwell, uh, was the head coach. Oh, he, I forgot he was at Wake. He actually was recruiting me from Penn State. Mm. And when he got the job at Wake, he called me. And my senior year, we went to the state, so I lost pretty much all of December recruiting because most schools don't have you on recruiting trips when school's out for Christmas. Right. So if, I think we played up until December the 10th, I think was the state championship or something like that. So I lost the whole month of December. Well, he had called me and I had started thinking, okay, I gotta figure out what I wanna do. And I originally wanted to go to law school. And so I started looking at schools that had good law schools, and then just out of the blue, he calls me and says, "Hey, I'm getting head coach at at Wake. Do you want to come?" I said, "I'll be there on a visit," and I ended up being his first head coach college football recruit commit.
0: How did he even know about you? Just 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 from he recruited the area, so he knew
1: everybody. I'm sure Cos had sent him some stuff. So
0: yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Caldwell's
1: a big name. He is. Yeah. Yeah, I think he – I want to say he was, like, a consultant for Jacksonville, I think, this year. Okay. Behind the scenes type stuff. Great man. Absolutely great man. I, I still text him to this day sometimes. I don't speak to him very often, but I, every now and then I'll shoot him a text. Hey, coach, just thinking about you. Hope you're well.
0: Boom. And uh, did he coach the whole time you were at Wake? He did. Yeah. yeah. That's a treat. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Because
1: yeah, I came in with everybody there before me. My freshman class was the fir- his first class coming in. Everybody else was Dooley's class. Yeah. Bill uh, Coach Dooley's before us. So they had the, they were the ones that had to kind of feel their way through. All right, this is a new staff, what am I gonna do? Did a lot of kids stay? Most did. Back then the transfers didn't happen a lot. Tim Johnson, who played at Bethel High School, he was at, at Wake. He got there a year before I did. He ended up transferring out, went to I think North Carolina A and T okay. and played middle linebacker over there and tore tore that place up. And we had a great career there. So
0: Was Wake uh, good back then? Mm-hmm. No, that
1: was the hard thing. You know, when you go from a a high school program for the last two years, we were 22 and three. Mm. And then you go into a college program. Now we played, I mean, it was ACC football. I mean, it was, it was pretty strong. Um, I think we went, my redshirt year, we were two and nine, three and eight. I think we had two, three and eights, one, one and 10. And my senior year, we were five and six. So not, no winning record, though? We lost. Years. Nope. We lost. In my senior year, we lost three games. East Carolina, we were winning 21-3. to We ended up losing 25-24. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech, which was the third game of the season, we ended up losing 28-26. And then fourth and fifth game was UVA, and we were tied at 13 going the fourth quarter, and they ended up beating us 21-13. So you take those three losses and turn them into wins – yeah, now you're 8-3. Right. We just couldn't.
0: Which is a really good year. Yeah, we, just, we just couldn't do it, yeah. It sounds like you were competitive. We were. Yeah.
1: I always tell people all the time, everybody's asked about Wake. I was like, the difference between like a Wake Forest and a, a Florida State or Wake back then in North Carolina and Virginia, their defensive line, their their people were legit. I mean, they were good. I was like, the difference is, is that their first team might be a little bit better than our first team, but it's a pretty comparable road. But their second team is as good as our first team. And their third team is as good as our first team. Oh, wow. So, you know, they just keep, you know, Florida State would just keep rolling people through fresh bodies every time. And by the third or fourth quarter, you're done. You're, you're tired, yeah. But they're running on 100%,
0: you know. So, tight end in high school. And then your freshman year, did you try – You well, you didn't try out. You were a scholarship guy. Did you uh, say, hey, I'm, I want to play tight end? How, no, how long, no, that, that, didn't uh, need, that You didn't even have, have a day in the sun so, as so, tight end? No,
1: I, I started on defense. Okay. So I didn't want to play offensive line in college. Mm. I didn't want to do it. I, I wanted to play tight end or I wanted to play D line. I wasn't going to play tight end because I wasn't fast enough. So mm. they brought me, Wake brought me in as a defensive lineman. I say that I know they had a plan for me to get to the offensive line because a lot of colleges would recruit. Bigger defensive linemen because they usually could move pretty well, and I felt like I could move pretty well. They know you can get size. They know you can move. They switch you over to offense, and now you're a pulling guard or you're a center blocking back and doing those things like that. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was a it was a pretty cool experience. And I always tell people they're like, well, you didn't like offensive line in high school. I was like, no, I said like, I didn't really appreciate it in high school. I was like, but when you get to college and you start working it, it's as aggressive as being as being a defensive lineman, but you know where you're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, the defensive lineman is trying to figure out where they got to go. You know exactly where you have to be. and You just got to get there and, and
0: hit as hard as you can. So when you converted from defense to offense, was it immediately to center? No. I started uh, – I played guard two years and center my last two. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what was it about – what's the difference between guard and center? What do you need in a center? Uh, I think um, we were uh, – no, no offense to my other offensive lineman –
1: you have to have a little bit of a um, command, a mental command of reading defenses and being able to communicate and remembering what the blocking scheme is. Then read the defense, and then you would make the calls. And so we knew which direction we were we were blocking to. So I think that was more of a it was more of a cerebral position than the guard because you're doing all those different things and you're making line calls and stuff like that.
0: And guard is just all about smashing whoever they've got to go smash yeah. or or pass block or whatever, right? Uh, when you when you're commanding the line like that, does that include the tight end sometimes or all the time? Sometimes, what, I it guess d- so it depends not on in the pattern. It depends on the protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's it's five or yourself plus four or five guys, and mm-hmm. you so you're you're basically managing half the offense.
1: Correct. When and, well, and,
0: and calling the defense out like back when I played,
1: you know, you would look for them, you know, and they still do it now. You hear people all the time. Mike Mike is fifty four. Like you find the Mike linebacker, and that kind of lets everybody know Mike's over here all right, what defense do we have? <clears throat> and I would actually call the defenses out. Like, we, and I think we called them strong in weeks. They had a 30 front, they had a 4-3, you know, some people would do different things, you know, a 4-4 type scheme. It, it, could be, it could be confusing, and that's what defenses would do. They would try to line people up to make you think something and
0: then start dropping people out. S- switch with yeah. a few seconds left in the play clock. Right. Uh, do you have a fond memory from playing at Wake? your fondest member, maybe it's a team thing or maybe it's a, a individual thing.
1: You know, I think the whole experience, I wouldn't trade it for the world, even though we weren't very good. I mean, we didn't, our record wasn't very good. We were a decent team. I, I don't think I would trade the experience for anything. I didn't ever had a bowl game, so I don't have that experience. But it's like I tell my kids, the people you meet in college are the people you're gonna remember the rest of your life. And you know, my roommate in college, like I was talking to you about earlier, we still talk to this day. I got four or five really good buddies. Actually, um, in March, we're all going out to Copper Mountain Ski Resort in mm. Colorado. One of the guys that we used to play with, Dustin Lyman, he ended up going to the NFL, played for the Bears for a couple of years. He's like the president of that place, and he's mm. having a bunch about fifteen or twenty of us come back. So that's great. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun. I, some of these guys I haven't seen in ten, fifteen, twenty years. Yeah, that's gonna
0: be yeah. awesome. Yeah. Did you sustain any horrible injuries? I tore my ACL my first college football game of my career. Were you out the full season? Yep. And so that's why you redshirted?
1: No, uh-uh. So back know. then, I had already redshirted. So this was my redshirt freshman year. I started first game of the season, I started a guard at Vanderbilt. First touchdown of the season, halfway through, the, I think we were in the second quarter, early in the second quarter. Pulling guard on power on the goal line. Had my linebacker two yards in the end zone. Running back cuts off me, scores. Everybody that was trying to tackle him took me out. My, I was under the pile, and my foot was up by my ear. And I knew it was
0: going. And so, you weren't that naturally flexible. As no, well.
1: I knew. I felt it pop. The, the uh, trainer came out. He said, what's wrong? I said, my knee's going." You know, I popped it. He goes, all right. And sure enough, I tore my ACL. So I had surgery a week later and out the whole season. Lost the whole year. Yeah. Played a quarter, and... Two or three minutes and oh. lost the
0: whole year. That sucks. Now you've
1: got guys playing. There's some guy that has. He's almost like his ninth year.
0: Yeah, Bo Nick's the quarterback out of the He's been there forever.
1: With some guy down at Miami. I, th- I literally think he's starting his eighth or ninth year. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I don't Co- understand it. COVID can give you a year, I think, but I mean, not three or four. He had a couple red shirts for injuries. Wow. Yeah, they didn't do them like they back then. They didn't do them like they do
0: now. Oh, as soon as that game started, you're you were you were burning it first all your year. first
1: play. On the field, my eligibility
0: was burned for that year. It's definitely not like that now. No, mm-hmm. I mean they also have the transfer portal where, where kids oh. play for four or five different teams. <laughs> yeah, don't even get me started about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might talk about yeah, that. Yeah, okay. Bit. Uh, so, any other injuries besides that one? Uh, I,
1: I had, I was at, actually at a concert, and I had something fly through the air and hit me in the eye, and I didn't know what it was, and it wouldn't go away. So, long story short, I end up going to the infirmary they told me just to put drops in and come back on monday i didn't feel right about that so i went to the hospital i actually had a corneal laceration oh and they actually had to do surgery i had to, had to get five stitches in my eyeball from that a concert. that night that night from a concert yep. that night somebody threw something and mm. it just happened to hit me square in the eye I, like didn't even i didn't have time to blink or anything yeah. it cut my eyelid cut my eyeball cut everything wow so i had to wear a, i had to wear a shield that happened in the off season so i didn't miss I didn't miss a lot of stuff. Can you see out of that eye? No problem. Yeah, it's amazing when it happened. I was like twenty over four hundred. I couldn't see anything, and now uncorrected, I'm like twenty, twenty five, twenty thirty in it. How do you explain that? No idea. I, I think it just healed. Huh? And it, you know, every ophthalmologist that I go to, they tell me I was very lucky because the scar is like literally right below my visual axis. Wow. I got lucky. Yeah, really lucky. So,
0: yeah. Uh, after your ACL injury, did, were you a little bit slower? I don't think so. So you, you picked back up where you left off. Yeah.
1: I had to fight for my job back. I mean, obviously, when you're out, somebody steps in, and that's college athletics, right? Somebody's going to step in, and they're, gonna, they're somebody's got to fill that role. So okay. I had to fight for that my job to get back, and it took me a little bit that next year to get my job back, and finally was able to do it, and then I got switched over to center.
0: And you were, other than the eye uh, laceration and the ACL, you were healthy. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Well, I'm sure you had some dings, but you were generally healthy, other than those Correct. two. Yeah, you played through, like, sprained mcls those kinds of things you just i tell people i probably
1: sprained my mcl 100 times 150 200 times are you are, can do you walk normally today i do i do get i do get a quarter zone matter of fact i'm getting a cortisone shot friday in my in my knee and
0: well eventually those stop doing anything don't they well they haven't yet knock, okay. on,
1: knock on wood they, oh, well, yeah okay. they haven't done it yet uh, and i just started getting those not too long ago i thought i had torn my my knee up again, mm. and I ended up going to a, a really good ortho in in short Pump area, and he looked at me. He goes, "Man, he goes, I bet it's just arthritis." Mm. And he did did everything, X rays, and he goes, "Yeah, it's arthritis. Let's try this. It may or may not work for some people. It does for some people. It doesn't." He did it, and I mean, when I when I went to see him, I couldn't extend my knee all the way, and I couldn't bend it all the way. I was kind of stuck in a in a mill zone there. Yeah. He put that
0: shot in there, and I felt great for a couple months. All right, so when you were junior, senior at Wake, was NFL a thought for you? My biggest
1: regret was not even trying. So I graduated in four years. I had five years of, of, of athletic eligibility. So I graduated in four, and I started working on my master's degree in five. And I was kind of under the impression, well, if they're not coming looking for you, if people aren't knocking on your door, hey, you know, talking about it it probably wasn't going to happen very naive I should at least try to get into a camp somewhere and go play that I tell my kids I told my family that's probably one of the biggest regrets of my life is not even trying to get into a camp somewhere just to see yeah. you know that doubt
0: that that what if is always going to be there so you're my uh, third college center not that I was keeping track or was trying to get uh, college centers on but uh, these guys are younger than you but they all say that unless you are the the exact height? Mm-hmm. You're within that perfect range for a center, and then again for the guard, and then again for a tackle. And you and your shoulder width and your arm mm-hmm. uh, length, like unless you're prototypical, you're gonna have a tough time yeah. breaking into the NFL. Yeah. It's hard. Even some really good ball players don't make it out of camp because they're half inch shorter yeah. than they're supposed to be, or they didn't wow them. And hey, right. not only are you half inch shorter than you're supposed to be, you didn't wow us. So mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, it's hard to stand out in those camps. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you never even uh, gave it a shot.
1: No, I was working on my master's in education, and I was student teaching. So I was off campus at a high school, you know, over there uh, teaching all day, helping coach baseball. I kind of felt like it was time for me just to get into the real world type deal. Yeah. Um, and then that's kind of when all that like all that stuff happened during the, during the spring
0: of that year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what did you want to do when you got out of your master's program?
1: Well, growing up, I, I always told people I thought I was going to be a detective. I used to say as a kid, I'm like I want to carry, I want to wear a suit and carry a gun. You know, you watch TV, you see all that sure. cool stuff, and so I thought I wanted to get in law enforcement. And then when I went to Wake, I thought I wanted to go to law school. And then I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do three more years of school after after four. Um, so then I, I started really looking at um, at law enforcement. And one of the guys that I played with, his dad was the uh, the special agent in charge of the president's detail for the secret service. And so he would come to games and I would just be able to talk to him and, and, and you just kind of understand what what it was like. I like, man, that's, that's what I want to do. So before I graduated college, I called and I said, Hey, look, you know, I called the office. Uh, I said, the Greensboro office, I said, Hey, what do I need to do to start an application? And they're like, look, you're fresh out of college, go get a job show us that you can work, that you can pay your bills, you can survive as an adult, and in two, two years or so, then you can put in your application. And I did just that. So I spent those two years teaching and coaching at Verona. So I made a little mm. bit of use of my of my master's in education. Uh, i used that for, for a couple of
0: years. So if your teammate didn't have a dad who was the special agent in charge of the president's detail, would you have ever been in the Secret Service? I don't day? know. I don't know. Yeah. i really don't
1: i mean it, it would be it's hard to tell i mean i think that gave me an insight and I, I it kind of moved them up on the level number one for me of the federal agencies that i applied for
0: um but you were looking at a lot of federal agencies i had
1: applied to the fbi atf uh, virginia state police secret service those are all the ones that i'd done at that point in time
0: you were yeah. thinking about being a deputy I asked,
1: I asked them, I said, do I need to go be a cop somewhere? And they're like, no, you don't have to be a cop. Hmm. You know, I think being a cop is a good thing coming into this job, into the job that I have, but you can learn it. As long as you're, you know, adaptable and you, you can take training and be able to implement training, I think you can learn it. It definitely helps. Some people get kind of the street out of them because what I do investigatively with the service and with my current job now is you're not in the street every day. Yeah. You're not dealing with people every day, you know. More of a
0: desk job. More of a desk job. You still get out. Yeah, you still get
1: out in the field. We still do enforcement actions and stuff like that. But it's not every day. You're not constantly dealing with somebody every day. And some people miss that. We've had plenty of guys that I had a guy in my uh, academy class for the Secret Service who was a Virginia State Police trooper. He
0: graduated, went right back to the Virginia State Police. Mm. Just couldn't do it. Didn't want to do it. Huh? Yeah. So, uh you always had the idea when, when you thought law enforcement, that meant at least state level and probably federal level.
1: I had kind of gotten some advice that federal pays better. Mm. Uh, the federal benefits are really good. Um, so I had kind of a little bit of guidance in that in that regard, not not to knock the locals or state, because I was going
0: to do that. I just got lucky. Yeah, I got lucky and I got hired. So so you're pretty elated to, to be hired. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. So uh is there a real pecking order in the Secret Service when you first joined Do you feel like a, a rookie when you started? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, when you so I got hired out of Richmond and I got hired into
1: Miami. So mm. they were sit back in those days, this was to uh uh June of 2000 when I got hired. They were sending everybody to the big five. New York, LA, Chicago, Detroit, and Miami. Detroit's one of the big five. Detroit was one of the big ones. Huh. Yeah. I think at the time I'm pretty. It was either Detroit or Houston. One of those two was the big ones, and I just got lucky and got and got my. I say lucky because Miami. I mean, newlywed, no kids, go down there. It's beautiful, day. Yeah, it was great. Okay. We had a great. Time. I bought a Harley. We used to ride down into the Keys. You know, it was it it's was kind of hard to be. It was a great time, yeah. Uh,
0: so, uh, I'm going to ask you questions about the Secret Service. I'm not trying to obviously no, learn fine. anything or have our listeners learn anything they shouldn't learn. Um, but the Secret Service, what's the objective or the mission of the Secret Service? It's obviously more than just uh, protection details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well,
1: A lot of people don't know the Secret Service was founded uh, to combat counterfeit currency back in the Civil War. 1865 time was what, what they were originally uh, charged with doing. So investigations was, was always there. You know. And then you have the other mission of the protection. Everybody knows, okay, we have the, the Secret Service has the president, the vice president, the first family, the second family. And then a couple other designees by the president now is what it's kind of morphed into. And then any other foreign dignitary that comes into the United States that's of presidential or prime minister status gets Secret Service protection.
0: So effectively an international peer of the president also got protection. Correct,
1: yes. And we got a lot of that in Miami. I mean, it was a, a major port. A lot of the Caribbean and a lot of the Central and South American countries would come into Miami all the time. So we stayed so busy down there with protection. You know, among the counterfeit money that was going on down there, the bank fraud, the wire fraud, all that stuff else that we that we
0: did down there. So you were also protect you, you were not only protecting them when uh, they met with the president or the executive branch. They were just doing anything in the United States, yes. and you were providing. If
1: protection. they're on U.S. Ter- U.S. soil, they get protection. Wow. Now they some of them can decline, most of them don't because
0: why would you? i imagine ours is world-class protection. yeah
1: you, you got it you got to show you got basically you have armed chauffeurs and i, I don't want to say it diminish what we did it was a lot more than that but they they from their perspective they got a ride everywhere they got doors open for them they got you know backdoor entry into places that other people can't do so it was it was a very very cool experience
0: uh yeah can we talk about who you protected at the yeah, uh, presidential talk, level I can,
1: I can walk you through it. so in Miami. The way it works down there is you're assigned to the office of investigations which is based in dc but the field offices are under the office of investigations so i was i started in bank fraud i did bank fraud cases and then i went to counterfeit currency and then from counterfeit currency i went to uh, the south florida organized fraud task force it was a task force that we led it had postals a couple two or three different local agencies um and then after that, I went to protection and protection ops. And that was my time down there. Six years is what I did in Miami. When I first got on, four to four and a half, and then you got bounced to your detail. Um, but it ended up, because they hired so many people around that time, it was kind of bottlenecking in, yeah. in D.C. So I was in Miami for six years before I came up to D.C. And then once you get to D.C., you go to Dignitary Protective Division and you go to the Secretary of Homeland Security, because this is all post nine eleven, Right. Um, at least when I went to DC, I was in Miami, assigned in Miami when nine eleven happened. Um, but when you go up there, you go to Secretary of Homeland Security's detail, work there, and then you hope you get called to the president's detail. You know, because they would call you and be like, "Hey, Paul, you are going to the, the vice president's detail," and guys would be devastated because they wanted to go to the president's detail. That's what I wanted to do. You know, it was one of those deals where I took the job to to protect the president. That's what I want to do, and thankfully, I got to do that. So I was two and a half years with Bush 43 and then two and a half years with Obama.
0: Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. And so were you, this is going to sound weird. Uh-huh. Are you rotating amongst the family? Because they don't they don't always travel together. So there's a, there's a system. When you first get to the detail, I think I spent one pay period, which
1: is two weeks, on the shift. And when you're on the shift, you're, you're not one of those guys. When you're that guy, the new guy... You're not one of those guys that people see on TV. You're with the press somewhere. You're, you know, you're doing something else behind everything. Yeah. And then I spent two weeks on that, and then I got put on Jenna Bush's detail, and she had just written, uh, written a book and was going around doing a book tour. So we were, we were bouncing around like crazy. We actually divided, she wrote a book while you know. her dad was the president. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't yeah. And so that. she was on a book tour, and you know we were a small group of people that were her detail. And we had to divide up, and we called it a red and a blue team, and we would leapfrog areas and, and get there in front of. Them. We moved around a lot, and I had my oldest daughter was three years old at the time, and I had a newborn when mm. I was doing. It. I was gone for out seven days back one, out four days back two, out nine days back, you know three, just constantly
0: going. And Jen of, of the Bush twins was more extroverted, yes, is my impression. Yes. So she was out there. She and was created yeah. a, a different yeah. set of challenges. Yeah. Very
1: challenging. Very <laughs> challenging. So then, so then you leave, you leave that, and you go to a uh, a satellite. So that's considered a pre-satellite. The satellite offices uh, or the satellite uh, groups or squads, everyone is. You have the first lady's detail. You have counter surveillance. You have transportation, and you have. I'll think of the other one. I, I, that might be all of them. But I chose transportation. I did. I did motorcades, and you know, you learn how to do motorcade advances. You drive. You know, you drive the limo. You know, you drive. The, and there's a there's a matriculation process through all that. Like you'll start driving one of the other cars, and then as you, you get more senior. You end up driving one of the spare limos, and then once you really
0: get senior, you end up getting to drive the limo itself. Which is pretty cool. And Joe Public can't tell the difference between any of those vehicles. No, No, not most of them, no. Yeah, -hmm. Yeah, that's wild.
1: Yeah, it is pretty cool. I I, I tell people all the time, somebody asked me what was the most nerve-wracking time that I ever drove. And it was with Bush 43. I was driving limo in D.C. And I had President Bush, the first lady, the vice president, and Condoleezza Rice in the car at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> all at the same time. And I'm just kind of looking at like, man, if something goes wrong, like this is, I mean, look at that. Yeah. It's a lot of power. It's a lot of power. Yeah, lot of power yeah. Yeah. So then you do, you finish that out and then you go to the, you can go to the shift or I did an admin spot where I kind of worked over in the, um, where all the supervisors were. I was just kind of like, not a do boy, but I was, I, I helped facilitate a lot of the administrative stuff that went on. Did yeah. that for about six months. It got me a car. So I got free gas for six months, which was okay. nice in D.C. because on yeah. protection you don't get a G ride, is what we call them, a government yeah. car. So you're driving your own. Why car. don't you get a G ride? Because when you're on protection, you work shift work, uh-huh. right? So you you have a G ride. The way the government justifies giving guys like I have a, a government car now that's sitting at home is I could get called at any time at night and have to respond. So that's why they let you
0: take cars home. So shift work, meant You were shift work. You, you were just doing that shift, and you weren't expected to be called in any other time. Yep. You get done
1: with. I got done with the admin. I went back to the shift, and that's when you start seeing, you know, working stuff, uh, doing shift. And like I had a picture in the, in News uh, Newsweek magazine, you know, with Obama when he went to West Point. I tell this story. My, my daughter said, "You're going to tell that story, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, I probably will." <laughs> So I go to West Point, and I was getting pretty senior. I was working number two on the shift. So when he's giving a speech, I'm stage right. And uh, he was just, it was when they were ramping up, sending more troops back over to Afghanistan. And so he's there. And you can imagine West Point, the cadets, there's not a sound going on Mm -hmm. at all, except for the president talking. And I'm literally stage right looking out. I get a coughing attack. And I couldn't, I'm stifling it. And I, I have you know, because you have your, you know, we're in my full suit. I've got a bulletproof vest on. Like it's, it's hot. The lights are blaring at me. I'm sweating, rolling down my face. And I'm <coughs> doing stuff like this, trying to be quiet. Cause it's, it's dead silent. Except for the president talking.
0: It's probably the quietest place on earth. Yeah.
1: This goes on for like 20 or 30 minutes. And I look and I'm like literally sweating. Like I'm not exaggerating that at all. And I look and there's a cadet on the front row and he's staring at me.
0: He can't wait for he's, to call.
1: he's just sitting there like, what is good, what is going on with this guy? What is happening to him? And he the president said something that allowed them to clap or cheer about something. And I ripped it off. Just started coughing like crazy. And boom, it tightened back up again. Mm. And I had to go right back to it. And I'm sitting there trying to do everything to stifle this cough. And it just kept going. He said something again with cheering. I, I coughed even more. By the time we got to work the rope line, I was soaking wet.
0: Wow. Yeah. Just from trying to hold the cough. Just there. from
1: trying to hold it in. Because if I started coughing, you know you're not going to stop. Right. And then you're that guy. You'd never oh, want to be well, that and guy. And I never would have lived it down. The shift guys would have wore me out. There ain't no doubt about it. <laughs> the, the rest
0: of your time in the, yeah. uh, the Secret Service. Yeah.
1: So then you start doing more advanced work. You know, you you start, oh, we call it CONUS, Continental United States. Yep. You start doing advanced work where you do airports first, and then you go do like a site, or then you get to an RON, which is an overnight hotel where you're the advance there. And then you ultimately work up to do leads uh, and then you do foreign stuff.
0: What, so, what are leads?
1: Lead is the lead advance. So, okay. if you, I tell people this, when you think about doing what I mentioned doing in CONUS, you do the same thing OCONUS outside the economy. When you're on foreign soil, you have the same structure, right? Yep. The lead is the. Agent that's responsible for supervising everything that's going on in the advance part of it. Okay. Domestically, when the second supervisor gets there, typically a day before the uh, the visit, you walk him around. He makes whatever tweaks or changes he wants to do, but ultimately, you're you're the final say, except for that last tweak
0: yeah. of
1: what goes on. And I tell people all the time that when you got to do that, foreign in the government I don't know if you're familiar well, yeah, you're familiar with GS-13 yeah. is in the services as a, as a non promoter, that's a journeyman level 13 you're a GS-13 and you're in a foreign country and you're making decisions that there aren't many GS-13s in the country that are that are making I mean it's it's, it's kind of humbling when you sit there and think about it. like I negotiated with like colonels and, and generals and all kinds of stuff in foreign countries to get things that we needed and it was it's amazing to think about it after the fact when you're in it you're kind of in it, you know. Yeah. And then after fact, you're like, wow, I did some.
0: That was some cool stuff I got to do. And you're using an interpreter for a lot of those visits, I'm at. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a little weird. I'm guessing. It's a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. A strange.
1: Some countries are better than others. Um, I did the lead in in Bali. I was there for 17 days. That was that was pretty interesting. Um, I did a, a motorcade advance. This is another funny story. Motorcade advance in Bangkok, Thailand. And I'll never forget this. Tom was the senior guy. He was doing the president's motorcade and I was a junior guy, so I'm doing the first lady's motorcade movements. And we're running a lot of routes together because we're gonna be running routes. Well, we get a, he was a major or a general or somebody in the, the Thai military to the point where when he came and picked us up at the hotel and we walked across the street, there were soldiers stopping traffic for us to get in the car. Mm. And so we're with this guy most of the week. Well, he ends up taking us to lunch to like their version of a four season really nice place he orders everything and there's a huge language barrier between us table full of food and we're eating it and everything like that at the end of it we thought everything was done he pushes over this dish in front of me and Tom and we both looked at it and you could tell by the look on this guy's face it was something that he's been waiting to give us and Tom looked at me and he he goes he pulls
0: rank he goes I'm senior you gotta do it that's BS. He, he should not have pulled. Right?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a joke, but he was like, "No, I'm senior. You. You're you're the junior guy." He didn't, didn't want to try. He didn't want to do it. I threw this thing in my mouth and I took one bite and I felt three toes and I just swallowed. Oh, just swallowed. What, it what the, was it? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. There was a, a three toes in there. That's all I know.
0: So almost like a half alive thing. Or it was what? in
1: like one of the. Um, pastry things I we, I didn't know what any of this stuff was the guy ordered everything and he ordered it so fast we didn't know what was coming at us and we just, I mean we, I, you try everything right sure
0: you don't want to be rude no
1: you try everything and, he, and I, somebody had to do it and Tom wasn't <laughs> going to do it so I had to do it
0: oh man any ill effects after that no uh-uh. <laughs> you're, you're lucky yeah I was so when you're using an interpreter the way I was taught like if you and I speak different languages, uh-huh. and there's an interpreter over here, I don't look at the interpreter. I look at correct. You. Yeah, yes. It's hard to do. Yeah, I guess you get used to it. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah,
1: and to be honest with you, in a lot of the countries you go, they speak enough English where you don't need it. Every now and then, they'll they'll have to say something. Yeah, you know, just to kind of help out. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah. What was your favorite country? Ooh, I went as a postander, which is a, um, a. I was in Miami. I went to Vilnius, Lithuania. Mm. That was awesome. Really? Yeah, we had a great time. Why? <clears throat> Could have been the group that I traveled with. These are guys that end up being like really good buddies of mine. On the on the detail, uh, we had a great group, and it was just so cool to be like in the old like Russian areas on the cobblestone roads. And and this is we're not making this up. We were being followed. Yeah, sure. You know, everywhere we went, we we're you're being you're followed. Eastern yeah, Europe. Yeah. yeah, so we you know we would know, and we would kind of play games and. You know, you do normal counter-forveillance stuff. You turn around and walk right back past somebody, you know, just to make them uncomfortable, just little things like that. It's entertaining, too. We, we had a good time,
0: yeah. Well, uh, I've never been to Lithuania. Would you yeah. recommend it? I would. Yeah. No, I got
1: to go for free. Yeah. You know, I got per diem and everything to go over there. But yeah, I thought it was awesome. And if you're kind of into history, it would be a, a cool thing to go see because there are places that you can go, and I believe they're still there, where you, you can see, like, bullet holes in, in the uh in the, the rooms where KGB was doing stuff with people it was crazy
0: yeah completely crazy somebody grew up in the us yep. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you were with Bush or Obama did you get a chance to interact with them as individuals
1: yeah when you're so when you're at the White House there's certain areas that you're that you're in right when you're in the West wing you know you if he's in the office you know there's certain areas that you're in when he's in the resident side there's certain areas that you're in and one of those areas is literally right outside his front door. Mm-hmm. It's an inside door, obviously, and he'd come out and talk to you. And Bush would, you know, I was kind of junior on Bush's detail. So I probably spent more time with him driving, and he would say hello to you, and that would be about it. He was very business, you know. Yeah. He would he would laugh and joke about stuff, but he would more, the guy sitting next to me was especially in charge of the detail, and that's who he would talk to all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Not, there's a hierarchy there. There, there is, is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Obama would, uh, what he...
1: Yeah, he came out one day. I mean, he got to know me because I did a lot of advances. So he would see me a lot. Um, but he, he one day his kids came out. You know, they were both in, all into basketball. Yeah. And he had them running stairs right out there. So I'm like, you know, here I am trying to call out on the radio where he is. And his kids are running up and down. And he's actually started talking to me about, you know, hey, how you doing? Do you have kids? And, I, you know, I told him, yeah, I got two daughters as well. And, you know, we just chatted for a couple minutes then he went inside and that was it so but a personable
0: dude he didn't have to do yeah that.
1: no and both of them were everybody always asks that they're president of the united states they're pretty busy and their brains are probably running 100 miles an hour they are very great yeah. by the time they leave yeah, the Oklahoma's. absolutely yeah. and you see it like as you're watching you're like holy cow you can see them aging yeah but yeah they're 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 personable yeah i didn't you know i didn't have any horror stories that you know people have heard or stuff like that so
0: tell me about your family so
1: I am have been married to my wife for 25 years we were high school sweethearts she's a, she's a bethel Bruin as well um, we have two daughters uh, my oldest is a sophomore at Appalachian State University she's studying right now psychology she's big into bodybuilding so she's got a coach for that and she's I mean I, she's really gotten into it like she's doing very, it she's like very for, strict. for competing she wants to compete okay so right now she's in that uh, beginning phase she's been doing it for Probably a year or so, but she's very strict. I mean, meal plan. She she's very strict. Mm. We go out to eat, and she'll bring food with her. Wow! So she's big into that, and, and you know she loves it. So that's pretty cool. Um, I've got my youngest daughter. She's a junior at Middleothian High School. Uh, she's a softball player. So we spend a lot of time we're going around the country mm. with her playing softball. She plays on the team. Um, a travel ball team out of Birmingham, Alabama called the
0: Birmingham Thunderbolts. So yeah. she's yeah. really good. She's nationally She's pretty good, right? good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: she's pretty good. We had, we had um, four pitchers. The, the head coach for that specific team, he had a vision and his vision was, was awesome. But it was awesome because he got buy-in to it. We ended up having four girls on their team that could have been number ones on any other travel ball team around the country. And all four of us were on this one team: two righties, two lefties, different pitches, different styles. You, you, somebody'd see you one time through, and boom, you throw in a lefty. You know, and it worked really well. And this is how good these pitchers were: one of them's going to North Carolina to pitch, one of them's going to Arizona State to pitch, one of them's going to Arkansas to pitch, and then my daughter is going to Florida State to pitch. Wow! So that's been a, a pretty good, pretty fun, fun time dealing with that. Can your uh, daughter hit too? She hits in high school. Okay. She's a good hitter. I tell her she's a good hitter. She's she's a po pitcher only on the travel ball team, and she she won't hit in college. Uh, so I, I tell her, i said, look, enjoy it while you're in high school. Like you got in, who cares? Like yeah. just let it rip. Like she goes. She's actually had a hitting lesson right now. Wow. Uh, down here in Mechanicsville, uh, you know, just putting in the work and you know.
0: So she, she's played softball since she was a little kid. She did, yeah. Uh, do you have an estimate for how much money you spend on bats and gloves? And travel? The travel is huge. <laughs> the travel it's a lot is of money. Really, right? It's a lot
1: of money. I mean, with the team that she's on now, now we decided to do this. So it was, we didn't go into it blindly. I actually coached a team, me and a, another guy, two other guys had coached a team here that was a pretty good team for Central Virginia. And we could go to North Carolina and win some games, go up in Northern Virginia and win, win tournaments and stuff like that. But we got to the point where – you know, you had to start looking like I had trials come up. I needed a catcher, a, a shortstop, a center fielder, and another pitcher to get that around here because there's some pretty competitive teams around here. People aren't just going to one team like it used to be. Right. There was one team a long time ago in Richmond that everybody played for. So it was hard to do, so I told my coach, I'm like, look, I, I gotta start looking. I gotta be, put my dad hat on. I gotta start looking to see what else is out there to get her where she wants to be because she says she wants to play big time ball. Yeah. So the first time we played, she played with that team was in California. Wow! Yeah, at the PGF National Championship. It was the first time she'd ever played with
0: them. And and she had made that team. She was part of that team. She she was guest playing. Oh, that was kind of I didn't like know a, that was a thing. Yeah, it was
1: kind of like a tryout. Okay. So she went out there to California. They needed another arm to help them get because that's a tournament that can go. It goes on for a week. It's eight days, I think, if you make it to the championship game. Wow. So you need a staff to get you through it. So she went out there, and, and it was kind of from a dad who's been in sports my entire life to see her be really uncomfortable. I laugh at her because I thought it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, the first day we're driving to the hitting, they were going to hit the day before the tournament started, she looked like she was going to throw up. Wow. And I looked at her, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Dad? I'm really nervous. I said, good. You know, you should she's be. better off for yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So she's done stuff. She's now she's on the premier team. She, her flights are paid for. She gets gloves and shoes and uniforms and she's flown a couple times by herself. The first time she ever flew by herself, she was coming back from Birmingham, delayed out of Birmingham, missed her connector in Charlotte. She spent the night as a 16 year old in Charlotte airport by herself. My wife and I were flipping out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And, and they're like, we can get her, the airline was like, we can get her hotel room. I'm like, no, no, I want her to stay in the secure area. Like, right. don't leave and go off somewhere.
0: You're going to lose some sleep tonight, but it's okay. Yeah. 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 So,
1: and then I got a, I have a brother, older brother. Okay. He's, he's kind of been an inspiration because he's, he was born with spina bifida. Mm. And so, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but you know, it's a degenerative disease and we grew up playing baseball together. We rode bikes together. He and I mountain bike together. We still do mountain bike together with he, spina bifida. with bifida yeah he gets active and, and he in the summer he kayaks and mountain bikes and in the winter time he actually teaches adaptive skiing up at Wintergreen for their adaptive so company. he hasn't mm-hmm.
0: let it slow him down at all no
1: no it's 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 awesome to see and he's got a great girlfriend right now that you know, they do stuff together all the time and they stay active and I think that it really has helped him because he's he's his walking has gotten a lot harder like he's, yeah. he has a wheelchair if he wants to use it he usually walks with canes, you know, that kind of stuff. He's a tough dude. But he is. He is. My goodness. To see somebody go through all that, and the pain that he's in all the time is just ridiculous. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. All right, so there's an eighth grader out there. He's a pretty big kid. Uh, he's fairly coordinated. He wants to play sports in high school. Mm-hmm. He maybe wants to play in college, and, and, and dare he dream of playing in the – Uh, majors of of whatever sport he ends up pursuing, what advice do you give that kid? I would
1: tell them to find a local strength coach or strength and conditioning coach who knows what it is. Like, do your homework. Know what you're doing. And I would get to them and let them start working with you. They can work strength. They can work explosion. They can work footwork. They can do all those things. That's what I would say. The days have changed from when we were growing up. You know, you played baseball and you played Football and you played basketball and you played baseball and there was no yeah. there was really no time to do it. It's specialized so much now that it's become a business, which is a whole different story we could probably talk about for hours. Um, but I, w- I would say invest money
0: in that in the train in the the physical training part of it, and that can be applied to any sport. Yeah,
1: and we've got you know I've got a couple guys that I played college ball with, Freddie Robbins, who was a uh, Super Bowl champion with the Giants and the card uh, St. Louis Rams. He's down in Florida, he he runs uh, combine stuff, gets guys prepared for combines. Got another buddy of mine up in, uh, up in the D.C. Maryland area, who's doing the same thing, they coach defensive linemen. You know, if you can really specialize if you want. You yeah. can find somebody locally that was a defensive lineman in college that could teach you how to pass rush. Yeah. You can find an offensive lineman out of college and teach you how to pass that, you know, do all those different things. It's
0: funny, I, I'm, I wanna ask you about the sports podcast that we're getting ready to launch here in a couple of weeks. Um, one of the guys that does it with me, his son is really into baseball, and he's, And my friend said, yeah, they have a, a coach that specializes in teaching third basemen how to play defense at third base. There's also a coach, not everybody taps into it, but there's a coach that teaches you how to uh, eat sunflower seeds. <laughs> he's kidding when he <laughs> yeah, says that. But, yeah. I mean, it's that specialized yeah, these days. It is, yeah.
1: I mean, even when I had our, my team, like, I, I grew up playing first base. So whenever we did infield drills, I would grab the first baseman. I'd start working footwork with them. Yeah, you know, and this is softball, right? Teaching that, I helped Stu. I, he, I helped coach JV when he was the head varsity baseball coach at Verona back in '98-'99, and I would, I would help as much there. But when I started coaching girls, and that's a whole different ballgame, coaching girls than it is coaching boys. But to be able to grab them, and be like, hey, look, you know, here's how you move your footwork around the bag and stuff like that. It's specialized pretty much everywhere. The problem you have is you get some people that are coaching teams because they made that team because their son or daughter wasn't playing on the team that they were that they were at before, and it's kind of watered down there. Daddy ball's yeah.
0: not fun. Yeah, it's not
1: fun. Yeah, uh, I think it, it, being that my daughter played for me, I think I was actually harder on her than I was harder than I was on anybody else. I think yeah. that happens for some yeah. dads,
0: but yeah. a lot of dads have done that. Yeah. All right. Uh, are there other stories that your daughter expects you to tell tonight? I don't think so. I think I think I nailed the one that she was that she was expecting. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the The idea of a sports podcast, mm-hmm. it it's we're saying Virginia, but it's really going to start out focusing in Richmond. And right. We're going to bleed into the tidewater area for sure, and probably up in northern Virginia. And I think you and I may have talked about this before. Local sports coverage whether it's the newspaper or T V stations. It just it's not what it was like yeah. when I was growing up. Now, that's true for Richmond, especially for the local T V stations. But I think in Tidewater they still have four active sports desks yeah. at the four stations down there. I don't know what's going on in Richmond where they're different. Lane is doing his thing at CBS six. But I feel like there's a there's a vacuum or an opportunity to have yeah. and there are other there are a couple other sports podcasts locally I think we'll end up doing better just because I, I have an ego and I'm confident. <laughs> but I, I think there's 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 some goodness that can come right. out of that for people that are just fans, or maybe along the way you learn a few things yeah. by listening to, to coaches and players that have gone through those experiences.
1: I think it's a great idea. I mean, Central Virginia, I mean, Verona was the powerhouse for a number of years. Highland Springs has got a dynasty over there. They're still rolling. They're yeah. Still, yeah, they're still rolling. I just think there's a lot of talent here. I'm, I'm actually surprised some of the, the colleges – like ODU just now getting a football team, and I say just now they've had it for a little bit. But when I was growing up, they didn't have a football team. Nope. You know they were basketball. They were, they were basketball and baseball. Baseball, that's all yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of our guys went to uh, uh, Christopher Newport. You know that was a that was a community college back in the day. Yeah, it was a day school. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Now, and now it's a it's a full blown university. Paul Tribble has blown that place completely up with wild it. yeah it's something it's, you wanting if you've ever been there before when it was the old way and you go back to it now you wouldn't even think you're in the
0: same city Paul Tribble said we're gonna build an awesome yep. place and kids will come yep. and dag on if he's not right because my kids I have two in college one in high school I've heard nothing every kid you talk to mm-hmm. visits CNU yeah every single yeah. kid you talk to yeah well he he
1: brought in all that and fundraising skills he got from being a politician for years yeah and it, it paid dividends for him
0: yeah, he, he was, I think, the youngest U.S. Senator in Virginia's yeah. history. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. He was, yeah. like, 36 or something. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm partial to the 757 just because that's where I grew up. Sure. Um, but I think, and we talked about this, I think, before, being that I've got buddies from Texas and from Florida and stuff like that, like, people don't realize the amount of talent that comes out of Virginia, specifically the central and eastern part of Virginia. There's great talent that comes out of West part. I don't take it that way from anybody, but if you look at the larger numbers, it's Central and Eastern Virginia that are probably putting a lot on the map.
0: I would say Division One football, basketball, and baseball over half, yeah, easily over yeah. half, maybe maybe two thirds coming right. out of those parts of the state. All right, well, I, I uh, I'm, we're gonna have you back on for the uh, sports podcast. Okay. It'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, we'll talk about softball. We'll talk about football. Yeah. We'll talk about all kinds of stuff. I'm, so, I'm big on softball now. I, I can watch softball all day long sitting at home it's wild to watch a kid try to hit a, a fast pitch softball mm-hmm. from that close. Yeah. I mean, how far is the mound? Well,
1: from... So the mound distance is 43 feet from the back of the plate to the mound. But most pitchers like my daughter's about six foot. She strides at least six, nine out. Right. So you do, do the math on that. You're You're now at what? 36, yeah. 37 feet. Yeah. And the ball's going up. It's going down. It's going left. It's going right. Like it's, it's amazing to watch. Is she a lefty?
0: She is, yeah. Is there something about lefties where they just seem to be smoother than the righties out there? Almost know. any sport.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's that they're smoother, or if it's just people don't see them as often. So when they do see them, they think it's yeah. something more than, you know. It probably is, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, there are, I mean, a lot of people grew up hitting off righties. They see a lefty. They don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, my daughter hides the ball pretty well, and that's been effective for her because she's not her speed's getting faster and faster as she gets stronger and, and you know, continue to she's grow. She's still and growing, and yeah. She's still growing. But she hides that ball and she moves it. She changes speed. She does She does a really good job. You're going to go to as many games as possible. Awesome. I'll try to, yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I don't want to miss anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know I, she loves she, being there.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. Even though I, sometimes I can embarrass her, but, you know, does that's, she tell what, you, that's did, what
0: dads do. Does she tell you she, she wants you there? Uh, she doesn't come out and say it, but I, I know she does. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for joining. I'm really glad uh, Stu connected us. Absolutely. I had
1: a great time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.